Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hello and welcome everyone. We've uh, gathered an illustrious panel today uh, of uh, some folks who I've really enjoyed talking to over the past few months and obviously what's been going on with uranium. Um, I think that is uh, probably time that we try and talk to these chaps about what the future holds. So uh, joining us today, we've got uh, Roger Lamaitre, President and CEO of UEX, uh, David Cates, President and CEO of Denison Mines, Chris Frostad, the President and CEO of Pure Point Uranium, and James Sykes, CEO and Director of Baseload Energy. Welcome, gentlemen. Good to see you. Now, um, I think we might just sort of start off, get you each to do 30 seconds on the company so everyone knows who and where you are. And David, why don't we kick off with you first? Yeah, thanks, Matt. And look, I, th I think everyone knows Denison uh, really well. We're a developer in the Athabasca Basin. Uh, but I, I want to spend just a minute here talking about uh, something that's really important uh, at, to our company and, and I think to all of the companies on this panel. And that's to acknowledge that September 30th is Canada's first national day for truth and reconciliation. Now, this day has been observed by many in past years as Orange Shirt Day, and that's been in support of the Every Child Matters movement, which honors those impacted in the past, present, and future by the terrible chapter in Canada's history involving residential schools, where many children from Indigenous communities were forcibly separated from their families. And while this is well documented in the findings of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 2015, the tragedy of residential schools has rightly been brought back into focus for many Canadians with the recent discovery of several mass unmarked graves of school-aged children at former residential school sites. And as I've reflected on this in recent months, uh, and I'm sure others agree, I don't know how we can truly do better if we don't first take the time to understand where we've gone wrong and how it has impacted those involved. And so wearing orange uh, not only honors those impacted by residential schools, but I see it as a way to show other Canadians that there's something going on in this country that they need to know more about. So I urge everyone uh, to please find the time to learn more about the effects and the efforts of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the impact that it's had on Indigenous people in Canada. Okay. Thank you for that time, Matt. Okay, well, like, well said. And I think on behalf of everyone here, um, you know, well done for bringing that up. You can't ignore these things. You must you must deal with it. And Canada sounds like it is. Um, we're here today to talk about uranium. Um, we've got a, a big and varied uh, investor audience interested in the uranium space. Some um, truly... Uh, True catalysts have happened over the past uh, couple, couple of months, uh, and I want to talk about the impact on on, on uh, that in, in terms of your strategies. Okay, because you've got to be agile and adapt. So um, I don't know. Maybe start with you, Chris. Um, given the movement in spot prices, which is the thing that most uh, people new to uranium are, are look at, um, and perhaps the impact on the decision making of uh, uh, the. Uh, uranium buyers, um, have you had to change or adapt your plans, uh, or is it just steady as she goes? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, we're PurePoint, uh, a uranium exploration company in northern Saskatchewan. We've worked there for many years with the folks on this panel. And and for sure, we're seeing a very different year here. It, it feels a lot like 2004 again, but in a lot of ways, it's not. A lot of things have changed um, for those of us out in the field. Um, as an exploration company, we, we're pretty much driven by um, our ability to get out and, and do work in the field, which, which requires uh, a great amount of financing. 
So um, for the last while, while uh, uranium prices have been languishing, we've, we've been trying to keep our powder dry and focus on only that project or those projects that we can, uh, where we can see the most value and, uh, and do the most efficiently economically. In the last years, we see the markets anticipating what's going on now in terms of the price of uranium and, and things getting ramped up. And certainly things are getting ramped up in the basin. Uh, you know, we, we've been able to go back to a lot of our, our projects that we've, we've um, kept, kept in good stead and good standing and, and really start to now, we've been able to raise more money, I think, as we all have been to, to get out there and really start advancing those projects uh, in, in earnest now in a way that we haven't been able to do in the last five, six, seven, eight years. Well, I think that's the interesting thing that you guys are going to, well, if you haven't, you, you know, people are throwing money at you now, um, but I think a lot of you have actually taken the opportunity to raise money at higher prices, therefore cheaper uh, capital. Um, if I, Roger, with you, you and uh, David uh, recently uh, had to work together to kind of come to some sort of agreement on some of um, the uh, URD um, project assets. Obviously, you all know each other well. That was a kind of Seem, seemingly very gentleman's agreement type uh, arrangement there. But you're, you, you've got to look to the future now. Um, has this market of the last two, couple of months helped your plans for the future? Um, or you know, is it a case of you've got enough projects to, to uh, focus in on and you've got your head down and that's what you should be doing? Well, you, you, anyone who tells you that the market change hasn't had an impact in a positive way would be or stretching the truth. Clearly, our ability to finance the, the acquisition of JC with Denison has everything to do with where the market has been moving towards. So it's made that a lot easier. For our strategy, what it does is it allows us to hopefully up the operational tempo that we've been sort of puttering along with, working on our best targets as we should. But you know, because we have so many projects, I think what this market is going to allow us to do is vend out projects. Uh, with companies that can be sustainable. So we're going to be able to get more of our portfolio working for us, being a portfolio-based company. That's, I think, one of the more, biggest benefits. Sure, more work on the good projects, uh, that it can go even faster than you were before. That is excellent for us, but also the opportunity to, to create value from places where we don't have value right now is really important to us as well. And the market's finally there. Okay. And, and what about you, James? You're, you're an early-stage company. You've, you know, you had some, you had some issues with Shadow, right? I think that's that's well known. We spoke about it around the time as well. But you've just put out a really good um, press release that's kind of got renewed interest in your in your story. But is again, does your strategy change? Uh, one, because the, obviously the impact of what's going on with Shadow, uh, and or two, because of the market as as it stands now. And what's the thinking at board level? To be honest, our strategy has not changed one bit. When we got into this last year, when we started up. We had a thesis in mind and we've kept forward executing on what we believe. And I think this new discovery over on Hook kind of kind of solidifies some of our ideas. So it's it's proving our thesis somewhat true. So the idea is to keep pushing that forward and keep pushing the boundaries and ideas and really trying to revolutionize uh, Athabasca. Okay, and, and David, I'll just, just that same, same question to you, really, but it's in the context of, I think you've done some quite cute uh, things. You know, you went and bought, raised money to buy pounds. You've also put another facility there to uh, in, in place. You obviously did the deal with UEX. So you are showing that you're, you know, relatively agile 
and reacting to what's happening in the market. Do you think, do you see more moments like that and more opportunities like that given where we are in this cycle? Oh, I mean, there's, there's lots of things that could happen. Um, I think we, we have tried to take advantage of opportunities. Um, we've always had that mindset uh, while I've run the company that, um, you know, we have to adapt to the environment we're in. Our strategy hasn't really changed in that our project didn't require higher prices to be able to motivate advancement. And that's always been an important part of our, our story. But yeah, I mean, the market has changed uh, around us and it's created different opportunities. I mean, I, I cannot say that it was ever part of a plan to buy two and a half million pounds uranium uh, to secure a third of our project uh, upfront capex years before, um, you know, having even a feasibility study. Uh, that, that was not something that would be uh, on the radar a few years ago when the market was, was more challenging. But I think it's incumbent on us when we manage our companies to look at the opportunities in front of us and see how we can make use of them for the benefit of our shareholders. And that uranium purchase has already uh, worked out well for us. You know, we're, we're looking at an almost 50% uptick mm. in the value of those holdings, meaning that we're now covering almost half of our upfront capex instead of a third. With that with those holdings so it's a good example of how you can uh, use some opportunities or some some insight into the opportunities in the market and uh, try to make the market work for your shareholders so chris if you if you look at what's happened obviously we all have to sort of tip our hat towards uh, what sprout has done for the marketplace you've all been a ben beneficiaries of this it's set the retail market wild the the conversations in social media on chat rooms is uh, extraordinarily um, ebullient about what's going to happen here. A little reset in the last couple of, couple of weeks, but you've been very cautious in conversations with me, you know, citing lessons of, of the past. Do you, do you think that there's anything to be learned from the past or is this just an entirely uh, new frontier? Well, uh, certainly the things we learned from the past, I think I think the focus on Sprott is is a good one. I think the market has been, and particularly the retail market, has been waiting for something to move in in the uranium space for so long. Um, this isn't something that's come up in the last six months. There's been chatter about this for five years, six years. Everybody waiting for that time when things are going to move. So I think to see to see Sprott get into the market the way they did, and the, and the arrangement that, that that David made with 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 them was was you know well timed and 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 a very good move for the market, and then to see how quickly the spot price reacted to it, I think it's just got everybody in a pretty frothy uh, state right now, and and that's fair. I think the mar and the market's always probably focused too much on the spot price. Uh, but really, that's the only transparent number people have got to hang on. So uh, they're watching it, uh, watching it closely. And I think behind the scenes, certainly there's 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 more people than just Sprott buying in the spot. So it, it's not just them driving it up, but you're certainly seeing, you know, those numbers uh, snapping together closely. So th the market's been desperate for something to hang their hat on and get excited about. I think Sprott provided them with that. Um, the, you know, certainly we're, we're seeing with, with, uh, you know, I think David and Roger would agree and, and James as well. Um, you know, so when we talk to Cameco or Rana or some of our other partners, you know, they're still, they're still waiting. It's, uh, it, this is really the market anticipating, you know, a more, a more stable and balanced, uh, commodity market in uranium. And, uh, uh but we, we have to take advantage of the market excitement. 
you know, that that's what we have to do. I mean, we're not, we're not in the production game. Um, so, so we, we take advantage of the market as it, as it reacts today. And, and, uh, you know, the other folks on the panel, you know, react at, at different stages. So, I mean, Roger, if, do you think that the retail market is correct to be excited or would you urge more caution? What, what, what's, what are your lessons of the past? Uh, when the market last ran? Well, I think, you know, what, what I think we've seen a few false starts uh, and we did the last time the market moved to. And I think for us, um, cautious, yes, for sure. Because at the end of the day, the market truly moves when term price starts to move. And that's when the utilities decide, okay, now I'm concerned about where things are going. Um, away we go. And I think what people have been really concerned about over the last little bit or what I've been hearing from people is that why isn't the term price moving? Why is the term price moving? And utilities have a little bit of little bit of room to wait and see where things are going. I think when we see movement in the term price, that's great. But the spot price movement is in, in the fact that spots taking pounds off the market uh, and, and going after every scrap pound, not just the big chunks of pounds, uh, which is a price setting uh, mechanism on its own is 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 if if it doesn't if is this isn't the wave and i'm and i believe actually we're at the beginning of that wave for one other reason uh it's certainly going to take that supply shortfall and crunch it back if whether you believe it's happening today or whether it's two years out or four years out as the as the more negative people do it's pushing things in a different direction and it's taking shaking confidence in in buyers uh, the utility buyers at the end of the day. So yes, I think for us, if we don't see this, the term price move, uh, that would be the one that's, that's the real trigger for whether we're on that run. That being said, when you look at uh, the last time the market entered a stage of backwardation in, in was, it was in October of 2006, uh, where on the day of the cigar Lake flood. And so I think Sprott might be that triggering event to, 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 to basically give the utility buyers a little bit of a wake up. Hey, the market's not quite as, uh, for them, not quite as easy as it might have been two months ago. So it, it's their psychology of those that those groups are really going to be the, of the buyers are going to be the real key as to whether things move forward. But I do believe because we're seeing the change in, in, in pricing behavior um, that uh, that we're closer to to the end than, than the beginning that we were years ago. So, so James, that's so, Matt, can I just can sure. I just jump in, Matt? I, sure. I, hate, I hate to do that, but. Look, I, Roger makes a good point about the long-term price, but I think it's important people understand long-term price has moved. Um, and it's moved just shortly. I mean, it's gone from just over $30 to $40 in the last price post. So it's maybe subtle compared to the spot price, but that long-term market has, is starting to converge faster than I actually was expecting it. Uh, I, I do see the utilities as slow-moving groups, and I was thinking that that uh, essential arbitrage between spot and term would persist a bit longer, but at last last price, I mean, we've seen 40. So if we took the spot price aside and said term price has gone from 32 to 40 in, in under two months, I think that would be a pretty bullish sign. Uh, I think it's a good indicator of the fact that this market is actually on track uh, to improving. So you know, and I would... I would agree, David, because it was, uh, I remember that, I remember being the only exposed chemical person in 2006 at the Nuclear Energy Concert on the day of the flood, and and people were, the utilities were yelling at me for saying how we're working them over the coals, and I have nothing to do with it, I'm the exploration guy. Uh, meanwhile, they're in their Blackberries trying to fill out orders, so it's it's sort of like watching the five stages of grief. Um, they get through the anger stage, and then they get into the, we better do something about it stage, right? So uh, you're kind of right there. Hmm. 
It's, in, it's interesting because the, the, the typically the term lags spot price here, but given the, the rate at which both have uh, moved, and if I then sort of look look back to conversations we've had, you know, earlier in the year pre pre-spot, um, and you look at some of the trade bodies, you know, what what they were projecting here, everything just seems to have accelerated at rates none of us were expecting. Um, can we expect to see more of the same, or have has spot just done enough and is it going to sit back and see if anyone else joins the party? I know there are other bars, but nothing meaningful, not a, nothing as meaningful as spurts. I mean, David, probably just back at you on that one, David, your expectation on, of, of timing and ramp up now of, of rules changed? Well, look, I mean, uh, there are other buyers. Uh, we, we are hearing that there are other buyers in the market, whether they be a mix of utilities and other financials. There are other buyers in the spot market. There's definitely now buyers showing up in the term market, which is very encouraging. But uh, look, Sprott has exposed the fact that discretionary supplies are not as deep as utilities would have expected. And I think that does change the game. Um, they, they, a lot of utilities are counting on those same discretionary pounds in the spot market as insurance. And part of the reason why they have not uh, had a call to action to go sign term contracts. Now that Sprott's uh, followed you know, years of production constraint and producer buying and developer buying earlier this year and UPC buying in years past, uh, Sprott's come in and really, I think, drained the bottom of the barrel and exposed that the utilities can't count on those pounds. The thing about Sprott is they, they increased the size of that ATM to 1.3 billion. Uh, you know, at last check, they're still close to a billion dollars to go. I mean, they're a little bit less than that, but. They've, they've got a lot uh, of room on their ATM. It, it is a question of whether the investor interest will keep pricing at a premium uh, for them to use that. But, but I think this, this structure of investors participating in the market through Sprott will persist. Uh, and at the same time, you're going to see other participants see if there are ways that they can exploit the market and be alongside Sprott, all while the utilities have to ask, okay, what do I do? How do I actually get my pounds? So I, I don't see this as being the end uh, of where this goes uh, in terms of Sprott's influence in the market. I, I see it persisting. Okay, and for, this is probably one for, for James and Chris. And um, James first, if you don't mind, which is in a kind of very meaningful way, you you care about what the utilities are up to because it drives the market. But in another way, you've got to focus on business, doing your business, don't you? So um, have you... Do you enjoy being part of conversations about uh, producers or near-term producers, or do you see very, very little benefit in that? And you've got to you've got to get your head down and focus on what you do and do it right. It's all part of the same sphere. So I do keep uh, I keep a, an eye on what's going on as much as possible. But yeah, like you said, my main goal is to make sure that that we can make these discoveries, that we can add pounds into the market, and that's. That's part of that thesis going forward is that we want to make those discoveries that can hit the market in very short time frames. So what are you, so what are you saying to what are you saying to retail investors then? What what should they be looking at? Because it's going to be slightly different from you know a Denison uh, investor, isn't it? Quite a bit. Although Denison has the the track record on the go and has made a lot of moves and looks like everything's coming along nicely. Uh, we've just taken a slightly different approach that to the retail mm-hmm. investors you know, where. We're in the right market, and we're we're looking for, I guess, new styles of unicorns. Whereas everyone is always searching for the monsters, you don't need the monsters. You need the economics. So why keep looking for the monsters that aren't economic when you can find, you know, the unicorns that are economic? 
And that's, that's basically where we come in and exactly what we're doing, trying to prove everything forward. Um, okay, Chris, let me send a question to you. You, you know, Does what the utilities do in this market over the next couple of months have any bearing in terms of how you run your company? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we and, and, and a part of that comes from the kind of the fence we straddle with, with um, on a couple of our projects with Cameco and Arano, because in that case, we, we have to follow their lead and their objectives more so than what we might on those projects that we run 100%. So it, it's very interesting to hear where their direction and their objective is because they're looking they're looking five to 10 years out. Um, you know, they're looking at where they're gonna get feed to put in, um, you know, put in a mill that's gonna run out 10 years from now. And, and that, that's where money starts getting directed. So it's, it's important that we understand and appreciate the different timelines and the different objectives and the different financials around, uh, you know, around how our partners operate and how they, um, they're going to move forward. And uh, so it, it's very, very important in that regard. On the other side of the house, those projects that we're looking at um, or that we own 100%, uh, you know, you know, to James's point, I mean that that's the business we're in is to go out there and 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 spend that risk capital and find those those new projects that that have merit and and can be uh, moved forward in the market. Um, that's that's our job out there. So, yeah, it's very important that we understand what what the whole the whole cycle um, thinks and is doing and and how how they're approaching things. I mean. You know, I'm going to have to phone up Roger right after this call and see what projects he wants to vend out because, uh, you know, we, we have some money we need to put in the ground. But so that that it, it's it's certainly important for us to know what you know where everybody's heads at and 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 what they're what they're doing and where their their focus is. It, I mean, if I if I look back to the last you know twelve months, eighteen months, it, you know, we, we we this these uranium COs it was it was more like a sort of collective group therapy session. It seemed, but now that the, the party started, um, and you know, behaviors change and new entrants come into the market. You know, and again, Roger, so this to you. What do you think investors need to be aware of? Because there will be new entrants, some valid, some not so much. Um, you know, what, what, what are the, give us some clues as to what uh, we should be looking out for. Well, for the new entrants, I mean, the question is, are they committed? I mean, that, that's really the question. Flavor of the month stuff, where people are just coming in to, to raid, start a new company, get listed somewhere, and then follow the next flavor of the month. I mean, obviously, you want to avoid those. I think you want to find um, you know, companies that just pick up land uh, that don't have the experience like James's group does and know where, where to pick up good land. Uh, just picking up land isn't good enough. It's picking up land where someone knows something or has a hypothesis of something or whether they're doing deals with established companies like the groups here as well and, and picking up land that's in the key spots of the basin. And I mean, I can get into high end technical stuff. There's a lot of places in the basin that you probably, I mean, not that it would be zero potential, but there are places where you just don't want to go because you know the geology is not underneath that basin is not favorable. You know, and I'll, I'll throw in I'll throw in a number there, Roger, that we were looking at yesterday is since about a year or so ago, the amount of the amount of area that has been staked across the basin has increased by about seventy percent, seventy five percent. And I can tell you, it's not one big flat sheet of uranium out there. So, um, you know, I think to Roger's point, you're going to see a lot of new entrants coming online um, with a lot of closeology stories. And there's a lot of CEOs with blood red fingernails after holding on through this long period of time to hold on to the good land positions uh, for a reason. 
because they're good land positions that have value. So, so I mean, it's hard to say any one situation, this is the right thing or the wrong thing, but those are the things as an investor you look out for. Are they picking up land in, in, in the key areas uh, that are on the good trends or near the good trends? Or are they just picking up land that nobody wanted six months ago? You're all, Arthur, you're all Athabasca companies, right? And the, there's a coverall. If it's Athabasca, it's got to be good. And what you guys are just saying to me is there's some moose pasture out there. Watch out for, watch out for that. You know, us poor investors don't, don't know. So you know, what would you say we need to look out for? I mean, James, you're, you're, you're an explorer. You've got a great track record of making some discoveries. You've got a slightly alternative thesis on the Athabasca play. So, you know, why, why is your story going to succeed? You know, why is it not one of these stories that, you know, Rogers just warned us about? Well, to Rogers' point, he makes a very good point, uh, especially with the companies that have held on for a very long time. Those companies with the longevity who have been here since the, the past bull run, those are the companies you want to bet on. These are the guys who who are invested in it. These are the guys who didn't didn't get out on the flavor of the month once the uranium crashed. These are the guys who stuck around, st- stuck with their best best projects, staked other other areas once new ideas came out. And that's that goes a long way. The perseverance pays off. You can see other companies around that have done similar things uh, that they're starting to see success now. I, our, our where where we kind of differ, yeah, we bring new models, and we're seeing that we're seeing that new co's or even even some of the the companies who have been around along are starting to subscribe to that too. What we've done is not new. You know, it's 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 actually quite an old model. Uh, it goes back to Eagle Point, goes back to Rabbit Lake to the '60s. But it's just trying to reinvigorate that. It's looking at things differently, yeah, a whole new perspective and. Yeah, just to clarify, James, I don't. What I meant by that, a little more, you betting on the jockeys a little bit more here than just betting on the fact that you have moose pasture, and and so yes, you yeah. bet on the jockeys and then you bet on uh, on on their ideas and packages. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we're we're seeing a few new few names pop up with not necessarily the uranium experience, but they got the financial backing, and maybe that's all it takes these days. Would you, would you agree with that, David? Well, I think that may be all it takes to get started. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's all it takes to have a good business. Look, I'm, I'm, I appreciate hearing all the perspectives on this. Um, look, th- there's, I think people matter. Um, people really matter to these companies. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that change. Um, geologic models do change. Uh, and so different ground can be more or less attractive at different times. I mean, we use our own example of our focus on exploration now has gone strictly to ISR amenable. Uh, so these are the sandstone hosted deposits that people have basically stopped looking for because they thought they were unminable unless you had 300 million pounds. So we've, we've changed that equation. Now we're looking for that. James has got a different model uh, with baseload. And look, I, I think you really have to look holistically at the team and their strategy. Where I would be cautious is around companies that, uh, you know, whether we call it closeology where that's their strategy. Oh, this is this is near stuff that's good. Um, you know that doesn't mean it's going to be good. And the other thing is uh, retreaded assets. You know things that uh, you know were there, uh, didn't survive, or were left on a scrap heap, and have been pulled back off the scrap heap. I mean, there's kind of a reason they were on the scrap heap 
uh, in the first place. So not every uranium deposit will become a mine, uh, but those are certainly valuable assets when uh, people are looking to start up new companies and have a, have a, have a view of how it would happen. Well, look, if it existed before the last cycle and it didn't get developed in the last cycle, you do have to be critical and ask why, uh, why is that a good asset to be exposed to today? Will this cycle be different? Will something else happen? Is there a new strategy around that asset? So I think that's where people need to think people and strategy, really understand what is the business's plan. People and strategy are really important. And I'm glad you bring up um, reference to retreads, i.e. basically people trying to reboot something which didn't work before. But what they tend to throw at us poor investors is we've got new technology, you've got new AI, and we're looking at the data in a different way. So this time it's going to be different. And that's what we suckers fall for, right? We, we believe that sometimes. So again, how, how do you how do you differentiate between, you know, what didn't work last time for a reason and what shouldn't work this time for the same reasons, but we're told different? How, what, are, what are the signals? What, what are the phrases? Oh, look, so, so, so there's, there's always potential that someone will have uh, a bright idea that does change the way you look at a project. Again, you know, James has a different model for exploration. We've got a different mining model. We took something like Phoenix and other ISR amenable deposits in the Athabasca that like our Waterbury and THT, I mean, 2% at 10 million pounds. Like nobody thought that would be mineable uh, in the sandstone. And yet now we've shown actually it could be, you know, bottom cost quartile. So those things can happen. I mean, that's why you have to be critical about the people and the strategy around it. I think what I worry about is assets that may be new investors to the sector, because there's a rotation of investors over the decade between cycles here. New, new investors to the sector might not realize some of the assets are just old and cold and might never be revived. Uh, that's, I'm being critical, but like that is an area I think people have to watch out for is, you know, that's, they may not know it's an old asset, but, but it actually was on the scrap heap and uh, now it's been repackaged. Uh, and maybe there isn't a new strategy, but maybe there are pounds there and maybe they look cheap, but there's again, a reason those pounds were on the scrap heap. And there's a reason why the four of us didn't pick it up in the last couple of years ourselves. But, but, you know, exactly, Chris. along the same lines, you know, is, is the terminology. And it's very difficult for, to, to educate investors. I mean, we can't do it. And one of the things I remember from the last go round was the noise. Uh, you know, it was, it was unbearable because everybody was making up new terms, new terminology, putting, trying to put bigger, better numbers out there. And, and what it led to was a confusion of the market that was crazy. It got to the point where if you couldn't put out a result that was over 20%, then it was probably garbage, and and you know it was it's nonsense. Like it was all nonsense. And so the, the biggest problem I see with uh, that investors have got is is digging through that terminology. And you know what is real? What is? And you know we we've all got examples of press releases we've winced at because you know they've made up some new new attribute that gave it a big number. Um, that's that's hard, and it's it's hard for for us, you know. To put out reasonable news and reasonable disclosures, and 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 you know, really prevent ourselves from from getting into that, you know, that that niche of 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 trying to sensationalize something that's highly mediocre, or and the market doesn't necessarily recognize a good result, you know, to a large degree uh, in many cases. So that that's a tough part. 
I'd also say if someone brings an idea that says we have the revolutionary new technology that will make the discovery, well, I'm trying to think through all the history of the Athabasca Basin, not one thing changes everything. It's one more piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So knowing how to do things the way you also want to know what's been done in the past and how it's been successful and how this is going to augment that piece of information. If someone's telling you that they got a piece of satellite data that says, oh, here's the next discovery. Well, I'm, that could be one piece of the puzzle and it's only a piece. And, and so not one thing changes the universe. Ideas definitely can change the, the, the discovery universe, but it's an uncontext of, of what they know, but one piece of technology, sorry, I, I, don't, I don't buy that. It, we use them, but it's a piece of the puzzle, not the puzzle. I mean, layers just, upon layers upon layers. Right. That's very much. Yeah. But, but don't, do, you, do you feel, because I mean, Chris, you referred to it there, you know, the, the, the noise that was, that was out there, it's highly competitive. And I think it's, it's, it, that will come as, as well, that will come back again, that they always do. Is there pressure on you to adjust or tweak your press releases in relation to what other people are squawking about because you you don't want to be left behind and perhaps you have the view that well if they're doing it we should do it the rules have changed and in relation to what they're doing it isn't so bad the way we're going to reframe this well, I would never do that Matt of course I mean there, there's lots of pressure to do that because you're because you know all of us when we look at these things we we, we understand it more than your average investor does as well and and it will will constantly irk us to see somebody put out some news that is you know shouldn't shouldn't have been as exciting as something you put out and for some reason it's getting a bigger spotlight because they called it something insane um I mean, in, in our and there's and I mean, we all we all run into that. I mean, we're getting yelled at by investors and by boards and by everybody to you know what's wrong with our stock price and why isn't this going up and when are we going to raise money and on and on. So there's absolutely pressure to constantly do that. We've been we've been somewhat governed a bit because we've been working primarily on our Hook Lake project, which is with Cameco and Arano, and those guys won't let us say anything that is not you know appropriate and proper and and and. Uh, and uh, within within the lines of whatever, so I mean, it, it's it's you know it's it's kept us honest in that regard. But there's absolutely, you know, it's it, it's tough writing these press releases and and making sure that you're saying it a way that an investor can understand it, that a layman can understand what you're trying to tell them, without without you know throwing so many adjectives in there that uh, it, it's uh, it's it's hard to take. Superlative. Touching on a point, uh, touching on a point like that. So we're also in a new era. We're in a technological era in which Google, Google plays an important part about what people are going to read. So I'll, I, I'm guilty of this is I will modify my press releases to really hit buzzwords that Google would pick up. So your average investor will see these things. Whereas if you don't, if you don't, if you don't script them properly, they get completely overlooked and they don't get the attention. So as, as explorers and and what we're all trying to do and raise money and get the investor's eye on, on our companies. I think this is a, like I said, it's a, it's a new era and we need to leverage these type of, uh, these type of assets that, that, that are available to us. No, I think technology, well, I was actually going to come on to technology, but I might as well go to, go to it now, um, which is the, the, the environment in which you guys are operating in has, you know, traditionally been, you know, very obvious, hasn't really changed for a long time. But in the last five or six years, uh, I would say 
things like t Twitter and the social media and the chat rooms and, and so forth, everyone is empowered to get as much information as, as is out there. And you're getting a lot of advice from your shareholders now. Uh, how does that make you feel, James? There's some smarter people than you out there who know exactly absolutely. what you should be doing. Yep, absolutely. No, it's, I take everything. I take the good, take the bad, take the ugly. And just, yeah, you mix it all in, what works, what doesn't. Sometimes you sometimes you get some good ideas from from people who are out there. Just you know, sometimes people who are just new into the whole industry will will provide you with some new information, or uh, sometimes they've got contacts. It's uh, it's a pretty wonderful world, but it's also it's scary too when you when you see the power that investors online can have with Reddit and things like that. It's uh, it can be a scary situation, but it's roll with it. Okay, this, this rough, rough, rough with the smooth. Rough with the smooth on that one. I, I, I noticed a, a announcement by the Australian government. I know you're all Canadian companies, but they, they had to make an announcement about a telegram group, which was the villain name of company Pump and Dump Group. It literally, not even trying to hide it, but th that's the sort of things that are going, going on out there. And, you know, sometimes it'll work for you and sometimes it'll work against you. And I suggest mostly against or for a short time, it might work for you. Roger, I want to come back to press releases because obviously you, you and David, with regards to the, um, the JCU deal, you both had to deal with press releases. I think Chris was referring to not making up, you know, sensationalist type uh, names for technology and stuff. But you guys also had to be very careful with the use of press releases when, when you were, you know, both tippy-toeing around that deal. So um, you understand the power of it. Um, have you? Did you think that with those press releases, you could have gone further in retrospect? You can always say more. And, 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 and the, the trick is that you have to backpedal. Uh, if you get get it, uh, if it doesn't work out the way you want, and certainly we, when we did our press releases, and when Dave, when David and I were were working over how we we're going to get to JC before we teamed up, a very difficult spot um, to be able to say things. And um, I'd rather I'd rather be a little understated on some things and and then over deliver than convert the opposite. And sometimes things get beyond your control, and you can't do what you want to do. So no, I I don't I, I think. For us, uh, the technology part has changed. Um, the message and, and the methods that you deliver it might change over time. I mean, more than just the press release. I think I go back to my our founding CEO here, and he got to live just with press releases for the most part because the market it was in a good spot. There wasn't as much technology out there. So you had to get out there a little bit more, but you have to be even more careful about what you say because... Um, it comes back to bite you. I and mean, I can sit there and say, hey, we've had every intention of spinning out a cobalt company for the last two years. I get daily reminders about it <laughs> and going, well, it's when the market makes the right sense to do it. And it's not just a, it's not just a, let's get it done. It's not a task. It's when it makes shareholder value. And sometimes those don't, those things you have to hold back on. And, and so I, I'd rather, I'd rather say a little bit less uh, and make sure that we deliver on it than, than try to say, we're going to do everything and then get, mislead and people feel like get misled that way that's all yeah you're, you're held you're um you're held to your word um david you're part of the same conversation i better let you respond in terms of you know how you use press releases during that time and do you felt you would have done anything differently look matt there's there's not a lot to, to talk about on these press releases i mean when you're in one of these types of deals it's uh, you know pretty restrictive in terms of what you can say and everything's read by your lawyers and you know, you're trying to convey the material facts to uh 
to your shareholders in accordance with you know your reporting and compliance requirements. I do want to just pull on a, on a thread from one discussion earlier around the power of um, the sort of social media and retail investor. Um, I certainly acknowledge that, but but I, I want to make sure that everyone understands that while the uranium sector has benefited from a broader interest from retail investors, largely connected to the clean energy transition, it's not retail alone. And um, actually, when you look at the kind of money that Denison has raised in the last year, uh, none of it's come from retail uh, investors or a very small amount. Uh, it's come from large institutional investors. And so I think it's important that uh, people respect that, yes, while the, the social media pieces, and certainly for other for certain companies versus other companies, it might be more relevant owing to market cap and things like that. But this uranium market that we're seeing is not uh, singularly being driven by Reddit or by uh, folks on Twitter. They're an important part of it. But the big blocks that are shifting capital uh, we see that coming from actual uh, institutional investors that have not been uh, traditionally even resource investors, let alone uranium investors, but that have opened their mind to the space because of the opportunity they see around clean energy transition and nuclear. Yeah, I think that's working its way down the chain, David, as well, to the smaller cap companies, because we certainly see the same thing. Right. Okay. But so are you saying that things like the the Reddit uranium squeeze, the silver squeeze, and all those other squeezes. You think they they have some small part to play, but they they have they have no bearing on what institutions decide to do or not to do. Is that what you're saying, David? Well, look, I would never say that the Reddit crowd has a small part. Um, they they certainly have a part, uh, and they certainly are contributing uh, to the overall market for for our companies and our commodity. And they're certainly drawn attention. But I'm, I'm pointing to the fact that when you sort of look at the piles of capital that are moving around, that we have seen some really large stacks pushed in from uh, large institutional investors, and they're making their own determinations. Uh, they're, they're considering the market fundamentals and the, and the basis for investment on their own. Uh, they're not investing based on a... Uh, Hashtag uranium squeeze. I, yeah, I th- well, actually, it's in- it's interesting how how the game game is placed. I think some companies um, do get affected by that. Some of the, I say some of the, the earlier stage smaller market cap companies because you know retailers how they get the liquidity and, and the movement. And if a group goes after a company, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing. But you are the beneficiary of short term attention on you. I mean, and obviously, you know, Chris, you know, you know your, your company's of a, a certain size, was of a certain size for quite a long time. And obviously, there's been a resurgent of interest and things have changed. But do you, do you, I mean, what sort of questions are you sort of dealing with from retail? And do they, do they care about what you're doing? Or is this just about a market play, a thematic? They, well, yeah, I mean, from the retail side, it's, it's, it's pretty simplistic. You know, the, the, the questions are, you know, where's this coming from? It, it's a lot of education. Right. I mean, we, we watch this every day, so we know where all the pieces are and what's moving. Um, investors are trying to fill in the, the, bank, the blanks. You know, if, if the long-term price went up to $40 on Monday, how come we're not all going through the roof? Well, you know, we've gone up 300% in the last year and, and the market was, has already anticipated this. So you're looking at that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, more to David's point, though, this, this, it's, it's different money coming into it this time. Uranium has been tough because there's, it's hard for a big fund to make a big bet. There, you know, where do you put $500 million? Um, there isn't any place in the uranium field to do that. 
per se, like there would be in gold or other commodities. So uranium has always been a tough place from the investment side to get to get the big the big funds involved. And you know, moves such as as David made at Denison and and others we've seen where they've provided an opportunity to push in that big money. Now we're, we're we are seeing people come into the into the market that you know really just couldn't because of the quantum we were dealing in before. Um, so so that's that's changing a lot. So I mean, we're getting we're getting more of a balanced um, uh, participant, I guess, in this market than we've seen in a long time. We're getting our bigger funds now. We're getting our retail. We're getting everything's kind of coming around. And as as we're in this period of sort of rebalancing of of the commodity itself, um, you know, we, we're it's going to be it's going to be a funny six or seven or eight months of of uh, you know of, of fluctuation and uh, around. But it's it's a mar- it's a market kind of putting itself in order is what's happening. I think. Yes, it seems to be. Um, I mean, James, do you, when I sort of speak to CEOs outside of the Athabasca, with assets outside of the Athabasca Basin, and I mean, not I know you're slightly outside, but I'm talking different countries outside, um, they feel that you guys get an unfair advantage because you you have obviously the higher grade. People get excited about high grade stories. Um, it must be a lot. It's obviously a lot easier for Athabasca CEOs to go out and tell their story. Uh, whoever they're talking to, retail or institution, than than those poor ASX companies, isn't it? Is it? I would like to believe so. I'm honestly not sure, but I see a lot of nice assets out there in, in other parts of the world. They, if you look at some of the largest producing countries, they're coming from Africa. There may be a. a uh, they, they've they've always been there, and so there are some great assets out there. And you've got a lot of a lot of other interesting assets that are ISL operated. And as David pointed to, these are your lower cost operations. You know, these are the things that make sense. So, is Athabasca does does it have a uh, uh, a, a, a different or I guess a, a premium on? on the type of assets that are available, I'd say no. I'd say there's, again, different jurisdictions. It all comes down to economics in the end, uh, what can move. I wouldn't necessarily and, uh, agree with that. I think, I think we've seen, we've seen that, that the, the cachet of having the basin plays into the, the investors, you know, lack of knowledge, broad knowledge of the basin general. When things have been bad, at least we could say we were in the Athabasca basin. People knew what we were talking about, you right? I mean, that, that's where it goes. How many people out there have heard of the Makassani Plateau, um, you know, or, 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 or. So it, you know, we're, I think, I think it has benefited us and be it unfairly. It's, it's, you know, that's just. Chris, there's, 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 there's a reason that that's the case though, right? And it's because the world's highest grade, lowest cost uranium mines are in Canada and Kazakhstan. So um, there are good deposits in other places. And I I think a premium is, is frankly, Generally justified because sure. uh, you know people should place a premium on assets that will be more profitable, or profitable earlier, things like that. Those are the kind of things that actually would drive value. So there are other good assets in the world, but uh, they many of them require outside of Kazakhstan. Uh, many of them require much higher prices, and, and I think that's why you see additional attention come to the Athabasca Basin. And I don't think it's wrong. Now, I suppose I'm biased in that regard, but but that's what I would point to. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, David. I think for investors, they can say a discovery in the Athabasca Basin has a higher degree of probability of being economic because of the history of the basin, history of the discovery, and with the more recent discoveries made, 
uh, and the cost profiles that are popping out from the studies, they look they, they all seem to line up. Whereas it, when you go to other jurisdictions, it's a project by project basis, and it's a lot harder for investors to sit there and say, ah, a project in this part of the world will make money. And even some of the producing districts, you know, you sit there and say, you know, what, what some groups are doing in Niger is, do, is doing wonderful work. And then there's bigger projects that are sitting idle that can't make a buck. Um, and so it's a, it's a more general rule of thumb that investors understand. And that's why the Athabasca is at a premium because it's generally understood that it can be more economic, more likely to be economic. But have all the good assets gone? I mean, going back to earlier in the conversation. Yeah, oh, we've yeah. got them all. <laughs> Good yeah, they're not all gone. There's there's new ones to be discovered, and there's uh, you know new ones to be built. Um, this the Athabasca Basin is a big place. Not only a big place, it's still early in its exploration history. We've gone through the first phase of the quick and easy discovery, mm -hmm. basic margin type stuff, uh, right at the end, conformity, simple exploration. Now we're you know smart people are looking at what. What's next? Uh, what are the next ideas and models? And that's what you're seeing in this group. What are the next ideas and models that, that you can bring to play to create value? Uh, we're still barely scratching the surface. In our and team. I think it's amazing what we've all like. If you went back even five years and and how a lot of the minds on this panel have changed in terms of where uranium lives and where it doesn't live, it's 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 changed a great deal, a great deal in that short a period of time. So, you know, certainly having having some history out there. Um, and and you know looking at projects with with uh, um, with intention, <laughs> I think is where you, where you want to go. But the, I, I truly believe there's there's still lots of room out there and lots of lots of uh, discoveries to be made. From a technical standpoint, people were driven. They were they had horse blinders on and driven just by drilling conductors, 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 conductors. That's been the motto for the last fifty years plus. It works. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not always just about the it's not always just about the conductors. You consider Canada, the Athabasca Basin, how much glacial till we have. You can't see bedrock. You have to rely on geophysics. So it's just taking taking those new ideas, taking what's what's worked in the past, throwing it out there. Gentlemen, I think that has been a wonderful session of one sort of getting to know your thoughts on market, uh, how Athabasca, you know, stands out. And uh, as I say, th these are four stories I really like. Um, so I appreciate you coming on and sharing the time uh, together with me. Um, and uh, I will we'll be following you with great interest, as they say. So thank you again, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Matt. So much. Good, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.